0: Hello, and welcome again to Forefront 360, where we take you all around the topics of the arts and Christian faith. Live from Forefront Studios in Rochester, New York, I'm Rich Crisman, one of the leaders of Forefront, and I have some of the Forefront leadership team here with me for you all. We have Nate. Hello. Cody. What's up? And Zach. Hello. We are joined today by our guest writer. He is a Rochester, New York native, a technician at the University of Rochester Laboratory for Laser Energetics and, amazingly, a lover of all things literary. Allow me to introduce Renaissance man, Sean (laughs) O'Hare.
1: Gentlemen, thank you for having me.
0: All right, we've gathered here today to discuss Sean's fantastic blog entry entitled, The Poet in Motion, A Call to Be Up and Doing. As a reader, this was a joy. And as a poet, this was fantastic. Sean, would you give us a brief summary of your post for us? Sure,
1: I'd love to. So, I think if I were to start off with a uh, just kind of a single sentence summary, um, I would basically say that the post is trying to make the argument that it's essentially, um, almost impossible to create art and in this case poetry in a vacuum. So I kind of try and develop the necessity for kind of arming yourself with material that, uh, allows you to craft poetry, which is, um, alive and it's, and it's pulsing and it's vibrant. Mm -hmm. And I, I attempt to do that through um, bringing in examples uh, from history, from two poets in particular. One uh, very people are, I'm sure are very familiar with, Henry Wadsworth Longfellow. And then the other one who was also writing around the same time, just a little bit before him, was William Colin Bryant. Um, so, yeah, I think I try and uh, use... The, a poem written by Bryant to kind of serve as the backbone where he kind of articulates the the philosophy that I'm getting at. And then uh I use Longfeld to kind of flush it out and to kind of put that idea into motion. Um and essentially um just talking about the importance of going out into the world and engaging with it kind of just square on, just Feet firmly planted. In, Flat and, in the face. Yeah, exactly. Okay. Awesome. Um, yeah, so that's, oh, that's, that's the, the gist of it.
0: Well, I can say it is awesome, and Sean does a really good job weaving those poets together with his mm-hmm. own thoughts. So if you haven't gotten over to uh, the blog on our website and read it, pause this and go do that now. Mm-hmm. Unless you're in the car, in which case, do it <laughs> when you get there. Anyway. Be safe. Be safe. Yeah. But, um, yeah, I mean, like I said, we at the team, myself and everyone else, we all loved... Your thoughts, Sean. And we, we've we talked about it, we have some questions that we want to pose okay. to you is that mm-hmm. okay yeah I know good. Cody I know you had a question you
2: want yeah to... my first question is uh, have you ever seen the movie Star Wars <laughs> <laughs> oh, I knew I should have I should have yes, known yes or no young man
1: <laughs>
3: so that's a prerequisite
1: that's gonna be, to be that's here. gonna be a clear no unfortunately okay so wild. there you have it we just had to a... air the dirty laundry right there I love, yeah, it. I love wasn't,
3: it wasn't your article about like lived experience yeah and kind of thing, like, so my question alone. for you
1: is which one of you guys have flown into Starship oh
2: wow, that's <laughs> oh, true. okay
3: See well. all those stars in the sky one day.
2: How yep. all of them? <laughs> <laughs> okay. Prequels, okay.
0: All right, we, we love d- Star Wars here at Forefront. Uh, that's not part of our mission, but mm-hmm. uh, we all do like that. Yeah.
2: So. yeah, this is evidence that we are an inclusive community. We welcome people <laughs> who are vastly different from ourselves. Yeah. <laughs> um, Sean is not even a Star Wars nerd, and we've invited him on the show. So, I commend um, you. Two Studios. That's- Kudos to in us. In Rochester, New York. That's right, Forefront yeah. yeah. Studios, here we are.
3: We so. still think his blog is out of this world. Has, oh, 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 wow. Sorry. Outer rim.
2: Don't worry, friend, listeners, we will delete those out. Um, all of Nate's puns. We're going to limit him to 10 per episode. So I'm an editor,
3: so... Okay. <laughs> I
2: right. do have a real question for you, Sean. Okay. Um, recently, Recently, we, we had the chance to sit down with Dr. Benjamin Myers, um, incredible poet, incredible thinker, man, Christian. And he talked a lot about uh, writing locally and writing in the particulars, you know, write about what you know. Mm -hmm. And when you do that, when your, your poetry or your art in general is grounded in a specific place, um, or a specific experience, then you achieve a universal appeal, Mm -hmm. something that, um, people who have never been to the place you're writing about, or, you know, have never done the activity that you're writing about, um, it still appeals to them. So could you just talk about h- how that idea, that ideology, mm-hmm. um, relates to what, what you and Longfellow and, um, this whole post is about? Yeah, I think,
1: well, as it first, as I, I mentioned to you, um, before I did get the chance to go back and listen to that, that episode. That was really interesting. It was kind of cool. Cause I was, um, near the end of writing it. And, um, and hearing what he had to say and kind of the, the direction that the conversation took was cool because it was kind of confirmation like you know the ideas that that I yeah. that I'm having here and not just in my head you know that there's mm-hmm. there's other people that are that are sounding that call in a sense mm-hmm. um, but i think actually you know as i reflected on that a little bit recently i think a, a, a kind of a, a quick little story might illustrate this kind of be a good way into this this topic um, I recently got a chance to go down to, um, South Carolina and, you know, I stayed with some friends, I got to visit some family and, you know, obviously when there's this interesting experience you have when you're traveling, um, is that you are just kind of zipping through places, you kind of blink, you know, and yeah. the place is gone. Mm-hmm. Um, and you, and if you're really paying attention, you kind of get hints of, you know, locality. You, you look at a specific store that's not a McDonald's or something mm-hmm. like that. You know, this is a specific place. But the fact that you're driving through it is kind of you know, it doesn't allow you to fully dig into that you know. And sometimes you stop at a diner, mm-hmm. but you know. So you mean um, like
2: actually traveling, like moving? Yeah, like moving Too quickly, Phys- physically, so moving. Yeah, totally and so in motion. Yeah, hey, there you yeah. go.
1: <laughs> but that's two. Is that that's two? <laughs> <Yeah. fun. laughs> that's two. Fun All right. Down. Sorry. Okay. Um, and so, but as I as I was traveling through these places, I had I so I recently moved to downtown Rochester.
0: Nice.
1: Let's go. Yeah, <laughs> and. And I, as I came back through, uh, you know, I was going up 390 and I'm coming back into the city and, you know, so this is the kind of the first time I've been living in the city and kind of been surrounded by what the city is and what it represents. Yeah. And I come back in and I don't really know how else to describe it, but I, I was kind of, as I'm approaching the city and coming into the city and I'm just kind of almost like overtaken by all of like the downloaded information and emotion that has just been deposited into this place for me
2: mm-hmm.
1: just growing up here in the city. And it was the first kind of time that it, that it, uh, hit me. And I think the reason that, that writing from a local place is so interesting is, and it's so important, um, is because of that, because that you have pathways that you have walked many times and there's emotion that's, woven into these these places mm-hmm. um and when you begin to talk about them um you do so in a very specific way and this gets to your point about universality you begin to do so in a way and with a specific form that is recognizable even if the specific names aren't accessible mm-hmm. to a reader mm-hmm. yeah. right so if you, if i mention 390 like i did just a second ago someone's not going to understand that but when i start talking if i'm writing a poem or writing a story or whatever or i'm just telling this story when I start talking about the experience of coming back into a city, right? Everyone can relate to that, even if I name a building,
0: mm-hmm.
1: they ne- they've never seen that particular building, but they remember coming back into their city and seeing a particular building. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I had um, a
0: poetry professor. They call those anchors.
1: Interesting. Okay. Like, like yeah.
0: specific details that people can apply their own mm-hmm. experience. Yes. To. Yeah.
1: Yes. Mm-hmm. And so, basically, and I, I recently, sorry, I'll, I'll end it on on this. Um, I. I was just recently reading uh, an uh, an essay. It was actually a chapter from Chesterton's book, Heretics. Mm-hmm. And he's critiquing Rud- Rudyard Kipling. And he's basically saying Ki- Kipling is someone who is really good at traveling the world and kind of hopping around continent to continent like their cobblestones, basically. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But he basically says that the local man is the one who's most Tuned in with the human experience, essentially. Wow. He yes. says the, the more you burrow down that. to a narrow perspective, the larger your experience becomes. Yeah. Right. Which is, it's cool because it's counterintuitive, it's like paradoxical, mm-hmm. but um, yeah. when you begin yeah. to operate in those forms and those mediums and people hear you speaking them or read what you've written about it, it's recognizable even if they don't know mm-hmm. the specific name of the street you're talking that's about. It's
0: interesting because I've heard that, that's awesome, and I've heard that same sort of statement made when it comes to uh, mission work. Mm, I've heard it said many times that like, one man or woman that's planted in a local setting and has been there for, you know, and is committed to be there for years and years and become part of the fabric of that community is going to be in theory so much more successful than a group of people with millions of dollars behind them, Mm -hmm. but they're not invested and they don't have that trust and they don't have that knowledge of mm-hmm. the yeah. inner workings of the community
2: yeah.
0: yeah and you know what's
4: reassuring about that point is that like especially like as artists is like you have this conception like well to be someone mm-hmm. or to do some kind of meaningful work you need to be in like New York or Chicago yeah, or whatever, yeah. Like yes. we, yep. you know I live in like the middle of a cornfield in Illinois mm-hmm. and you know people definitely look upon that as like oh you're in Illinois.
3: mm mm-hmm. well, That's nice. Well, it's
1: because of this idea of, like, a lack of connections or something like that. Like, you can't mm-hmm. meet as many people mm-hmm. kind of a thing. Is that, when,
0: when are you going to move somewhere that matters? Yeah. Right. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It, yeah. It's almost like it's a rite of passage. Mm-hmm. When I... and mm-hmm. Yeah. I hear people all the time... Well, people will assume that an artist or... It doesn't even have to be in the arts. Like, any person... Um, if they live somewhere that doesn't seem to be of some sort of import to our culture, people assume that they they really can't be that great at what they Mm. do, because if they were, they'd be in one of these household-named cities, Yeah, which is fascinating. And it is Mm. interesting, though, because I think of any, of all mediums out there, and I don't know this to be fact, but I think this is true, of all mediums out there, I would think that poetry is probably the least localized, which is interesting. Mm. Because a, a lot of poets that I have read and um like Longfellow mm-hmm. in Maine, yeah, and the I think that a lot of poets maybe because poetry is a more um, secluded thing written by people that tend to be away from society, mm. but a lot of famous poets come from rural areas or oh. s- places that are now bigger areas like the the whole um American poetic scene of the early 19th century where Mm -hmm. people lived in the woods outside of Boston which are now like huge suburbs but Mm -hmm. at the time you know they were woodsmen that wrote Mm -hmm. poetry it's amazing anyway cool Um, so those of you who've been following Forefront um, and I do not claim to be anything uh Worthwhile, but if you guys, you may have heard that I've written some poetry and published some poetry. Oh, don't be so modest. (laughs) So, um. Never heard of Art House Press? Yeah, please buy Art House Press. (laughs) Never heard of it? Yeah, read my stuff, fill my coffers with coin. Anyway, um, so the, uh, I I have read a lot of poetry and I occasionally write poetry, and I've noticed uh, the first thing that came to my mind when I was reading your piece is that in my personal experience as a a writer, whenever I write something that is not from lived experience, Mm. so something that it could just be slightly fictional or full-on like fantasy or science fiction, people that I, like my test readers, Mm. tend to not like them. Mm. And I find that really interesting and frustrating. (laughs) Even if these are... A lot of times this has happened more with short stories than poems, but it's happened in both. But... um, stories and poems that I've written, even if I really like them, and I feel that they are very well written, well executed, they feel inspired to me, I'm excited for people to read them, um, often people just seem to not take to them. So as I've done more thinking about this and talked to some people that I respect in the literary field, and whatnot, I've come to the conclusion, I think, as you said, but before I met you, mm-hmm. that um, the reason why people don't like them is because there's no quote-unquote life in the pieces they're somehow disconnected from whatever force keeps them going um but the um what's that guys yeah but they um no but uh no but seriously who is luke's dad yeah so maybe uh maybe these pieces are not they're not rooted in whatever it is some sort of real Mm -hmm. tangible emotional experience that i had and i think that people can sense in a way, when there's, like, real emotion in a piece or not. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Which is interesting, because I feel that I'm pouring emotion into it, but, I don't know, it doesn't work. So, what I want to ask you is, is there a way that a writer or an artist can create something that is not from lived experience that still has that Mm -hmm. tangibility or life? Like, is it possible?
1: Well, okay, so this is is something that, you know, just because of spatial constraints in the piece, I didn't, you know, want to go too much into this question, because... Um, I thought it was um, a really important kind of counter argument to it in a Mm -hmm. sense. It's it's a very real question that needs to be contended with but just for the kind of stream that I I had when I was writing it I wanted to focus on those other things but I'm excited that you brought that up because that was one thing I was like how can I kind of work this in here because I think it's the the strongest Mm. point or argument against the the position that I was uh, expressing. So Personally, to your experience there, what I would say generally is that the things that you are creating from those perspectives, right? You know, you talked, you mentioned before something about um, you know writing poetry about being a mariner or something like that, mm-hmm. right? Um, those are potentially like indirectly, but they are still products of something that had an impression upon you when you were navigating through the world, when you were growing up. Maybe you saw something that was that just kind of captured your imagination or mm-hmm. something like that. And so I think it, if not directly, at least indirectly, there have been uh, pressures and, uh, influencing things within the world that you did experience that kind of caused you to be drawn to these types of things. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, and again, maybe that's kind of skirting around your question a little bit, but I think that is an important element here.
0: No, I think that's... You know, because
1: we're not, when you're creating those things, you're doing it for a reason, right? You know, you're not like necessarily, your mind is in a blank slate. Right? And I'm not necessarily making the argument that you have no free will over your thoughts and stuff like that. That's a whole other conversation. But I would argue that even these things that are appealing to you particularly are potentially the results of these other influencing forces. But um, I think that kind of leads into questions about what do you do with people who created poetry that really resonated with people down the ages, but who we would kind of consider as, you know, reclusive, you know, like someone who locked themselves away. Um, and I think a, a good example of this would be someone like uh, Emily Dickinson, you know? mm-hmm. Um, and you know, I'm not
0: She's tr- famous for that.
1: Yeah, exactly. She's known for that. And you know, I'm not, I'm no expert on her and I've only read, you know, a little bit of her poetry, but I did a little bit of reading about her cause I was curious, you know? Um, and I, one the first thing that I would say about that is I think she was a little bit less reclusive than people might've thought, or she was reclusive in very specific ways. Um, but actually, she was someone who was really, really in tune with the natural world. She was someone who was cultivating her gardens a lot. She was someone who she was someone who really connected with children a lot she She had some nephews and nieces that she was mm-hmm. really close with um, and so I think what 's happening with her case is that she is someone who is really in tune with specific veins of the world you know Mm -hmm. someone who's really in tune with the natural world or bees and flowers and things of that nature Mm -hmm. um and then to so that that's something that i think is important to keep in mind and then so
2: so your argument is that maybe actually she wasn't totally isolated exactly
1: it's it's and and this where i was just going to go with that is this is that i think at bottom, if you take that idea of, like, it's possible to be, you know, excluded from the world and still create good poetry, I think that argument kind of breaks down. Because if you follow that logic to its fullest extent and say, just like, this is just a little thought experiment here. Let's say you were born and you never left a room, right? So, you know, you and... um <laughs> I was going to make a homeschooling joke, but no. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I guess I just did, but say <laughs> so you, you never left a room, right? And so you didn't know what the wind felt like. You didn't, you had never yeah. seen a sunrise. You had never, you know, you know, gone diving off of a cliff or anything like that.
3: What is that large <laughs> yellow car that comes down the street every day? <laughs> exactly. <Yeah>. Uh, <laughs> takes all the other kids away. Yeah.
2: Awesome. going to frame awesome. is this, Yeah. Is this from lived experience? Yeah. Yeah.
1: And so I think if you follow that, that experiment to its logical conclusion, you begin to realize that this imaginary person has nothing to work with.
2: Hmm.
1: And so you're just going to be sitting in the room and you start trying to write poems about the four walls, right? And that's yeah. how you come up against this, this hurdle where you can't exceed it because you don't have any, anything else that has impressed itself upon you. Mm-hmm. Yes. And I think at bottom, that's what I would say to that. And then, sorry, this is a long answer, but I think the last thing that I would say is, uh, someone like Dickinson, and you mentioned Poe before as well in another conversation we're having. I think there's just some people who are prodigies, right? Yeah. And so they're able to take a very small amount of data or a very small amount of experience and expand on it way more than mm-hmm. normal people could. Yeah. And so, like, if you look at some kid who's wicked good at piano, like, I look at that person like, I hate you. <laughs> you, you got taught for five minutes and you're writing, you know, incredible music. Right. And, and you can make up a song and... In five minutes from three notes, you know, it's like I could never do that, but you know, I hate you. <laughs> <laughs> no, what can
3: I say?
1: so, it, so no. does that make sense? So yeah. that that would probably be my entrance into an addressing that question. Does no. that address you specifically? I think it does. Okay, and
0: I think and I I love your answer because yeah, we were talking about Edgar Allan Poe before, mm-hmm. and what you just said about Dickinson really just opened my eyes to something about Edgar Allan Poe as well. I'm a big okay. fan of Poe and a lot of the. I mean, one thing that he's sort of famous for is the fact that he was a recluse as well, and he wrote most of his things like locked in in an apartment mm-hmm. in a Victorian home. In uh, is that why he wrote so much about tunes and, Yeah, in, in Baltimore. Yeah. But what's so interesting, and I'm not trying to, I'm not trying to open, uh, you know, a box here, sure. so um, you guys can cut me off at any time. He no, but inside the, a box. Yeah, yeah. I'm not trying to open a <laughs> casket here. But the, um, but he, uh, no, but Poe, I think, and. One of the reasons why his pieces have lasted Mm. through time, I think, is because he was really in touch with the human psyche. Yes. And specifically with depression. Mm -hmm. And I think that Poe was able to put the experience of depression on paper in Mm -hmm. a way that no one else had done until pretty recent times, I I would say. Yeah. At least openly so. Yeah.
1: So, and, and to a degree that people who were out in the regular world could read it and say, this is like something that someone who, else, who was also out in the world is writing. Right. And not realizing it's coming from someone in Lock, the locked away apartment. Yeah, and yeah. it's
0: fascinating because in Poe's own time, people treated his work like fantasy. They didn't know. Oh, People didn't okay. understand that he was writing from, maybe not lived experience, yeah. but when it comes to stories like, casks of Amontillado or something like Mm -hmm. that, but he's, yeah. (laughs) He locks someone away. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. But the point is he's, but like the experience of his psychological breakdowns and tremendous phobias and like fears of people and stuff are coming out on the paper and people are like, wow, this guy is so creative. Yeah. You know, and it wasn't until later people sort of understood that he was, uh, you know, really just kind of putting his own experience on paper. So Mm -hmm. Hmm. Pretty cool. And I didn't I didn't really think about that until okay. what you just said about Dickinson, cool. which is pretty awesome.
3: Yeah, that's why I like things like you know, Emily Dickinson and Edgar Allen poetry. Uh, I don't think we that was I that. You know, I don't think we can make those like pr- prescriptive, like, oh like they, they kinda locked themselves away and they did a great job yeah. and therefore like I could do the same thing. Yes. Like you know, I don't work, think yeah. we can take edge cases in almost any mm. medium and make them like our prescriptive norm. Is because there, they were a like, do,
1: like a very small right. subset of like creative said, genius. Like you said about people. prodigies. Yeah. yeah. Yes. Right. That's
0: interesting. Zach says, oh, being a prodigy is hard. <laughs> <laughs> it's tough being the best. Speaking so. of Zach, do you have a question, Zach? I think you do.
4: Um, so speaking of my life, um, <laughs> so
0: what? Uh, What's
2: the uh, pressure like? <laughs> like, you know, what can, mean, can you do with those three notes? <laughs> how does it feel to not feel enjoy music because it's all beneath you?
3: <laughs> you know, <I> that's <laughs> why. What did I walk into here? here? Yes. <laughs> you know, I
4: actually worked a show this year with like a fifteen-year-old prodigy pianist who was just. Amazing. Really? And he, nice. um, he walked backstage for his recital, and he was wearing, like, these cool shoes and mm. this, like, really sweet, like, suit jacket. Yeah. Really? And me, and, me and the other, yeah, uh, me and the easy. other one were like, man, where'd you get your clothes, man? And he was like, oh, my mom buys my clothes for me.
2: Oh, and you felt amazing. a little bit better about yourself. Yeah. Did he have, like, a really thin, scummy, like, puberty mustache? Was it, like... Was he just like... No, I wasn't uh, looking that close. Okay, that's good. Yeah. All right. He was a reckless. He was good at piano, though. So that's good. all the Nevermore. Okay. Never more. Okay. Sorry, Zach, you were going to say something. <laughs> was I started that, talking was about that, mustaches. That I shot
4: a question about his toes. <laughs> Yeah, let's do that. Uh, uh, so what really kind of struck me in your post was you mm-hmm. called like the... You referred to this curious dissonance is the way you put it yep. between... Um, between like craft and practice in mm-hmm. poetry particularly um, and, and lived experience but I think that really like applies to kind of the arts as, as a whole yeah. and that got me to thinking about how like institutions treat how we uh, basically how we grow as artists and how we approach furthering our craft and what we do because mm-hmm. you know certainly in like in a music conservatory setting it's just practice and study your history uh and so do you think that there is a way to teach in the arts what is needed Mm -hmm. both as a craft and as lived experiences um as i know certainly there would be times when i'd be in lessons with my undergrad teacher and she would tell me could you just play this phrase like champagne <laughs> and like, you know, do you have a bottle of champagne in here? Because I don't know what
1: that tastes like. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's that's an interesting question because I think actually so speaking of distance, I think what you're getting at there is what you described about the the context or or the nature of an institutional like um approach to teaching something, is that it is by its nature um something that has been whittled down to a very efficient program of, uh, teaching and passing on technique. Right. And it's basically like anything that's a waste of time. Let's get rid of it. And that that's really kind of drilled down into like, what's the most effective way of transferring this knowledge or transferring the skill. Um, and so I think by its nature, institutions are something that, uh, that's a really interesting question to bring up inside of them because, you know, they're healthy because they they provide a very specific direction, but in a sense, they do exclude some of the, the venturous kind of things that I was getting at in the piece, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so, I think what you're essentially getting at, if I understand correctly, is how do we introduce enough like chaos within the mm. the, the rigidity of these structures in in a way that's like. Rejuvenate in mm-hmm. a lot right yeah, and yeah some schools um, do
3: that with like study abroad programs yes, and stuff yes. like that and like really try to get you mm-hmm. out into a specific cultures mm-hmm. and yep. places to do your work there yeah,
1: right? yeah and i think this is a thought that actually just occurred to me is i think we probably have all had uh teachers or professors whether they in school <laughs> those of us who went to public school <laughs> uh and then like professors right in college who we thought really modeled well what they were teaching in front of the class, right? And they were a fun person to be around and they were well-cultured and they engaged in the the material, not just in the slides that they put up on the screen, but like you would tell they had gone to this battlefield that they were teaching you about or you could tell that they drank champagne, right? And they knew how to relate the the idea of champagne to music, right? Mm -hmm. Um, And so I think maybe my initial thought might be that... To model at least a sample of what it looks like to live this type of um, adventurous and kind of uh, leaning mm. into the world mentality um, from the front of the classroom in a way that 's attractive to students and then also developing specific you know spaces where we can also do the study abroad programs you know
2: mm.
1: and then also just making it making it enticing to students mm. and 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 all and and presenting the idea that what's what's in the classroom is a springboard. Mm-hmm. And if you can present the classroom as the springboard, rather than the end all be all of this discipline, um, then I think we're kind of getting in that direction. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah.
4: Well, it is like, I'm just going to go back to music for a second. Like, mm-hmm. you know, like practicing a lot is kind of a safe, a way to feel kind of safe. Like if I huh. practice, then I'm going to get a job. Yeah. If I go spend the weekend hiking up a mountain, that's less hours that I'm putting in yep. towards my craft. It's almost like a surrender mm. that we're like very afraid to, to, hmm. to make because it's just not, it's not part of like the culture.
3: Yeah.
1: Um, mm. Yeah. And so almost this idea that, uh, the less you practice, the more that correlates to error and, mm. you know, just a failure to execute essentially. Is that, is that kind of what you're getting at? Yeah. There? yeah. yeah. It's mm-hmm. Interesting. There has to be a bounce off too. I think, you know, there has to be a way mm. in which, we realize that we're not we are not, we're not just practicing music for its own sake. We're practicing music because it reverberates into other aspects of mm-hmm. our culture and our own life in Absolutely. particular. Yeah. Yeah. And that if we focus all of our energy on just practice and we become masters at this discipline, we allow other arenas mm-hmm. of our life to kind of like wilter and just kind of die away, then
3: mm-hmm. what was the point of doing it, right. essentially? Mm. Absolutely. I
0: don't know.
3: Yeah, we're actually going to get better at our craft by being whole people. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yep. Thanks, Wendell Berry.
2: <laughs> <laughs>
3: no, that's great. Yeah. So my question is is similar, I think, to the conversation you were having with Zach here, and that is, I do feel like a lot of times when you experience poetry, it is in the context of a quiet room on mm-hmm. our own, uh, kind of with our with our head in a book, and. I think that's that's fine in some cases. I mean, I think poetry should be experienced that way. But I also feel like poetry has so much to offer the world, and like there are so many people who aren't engaging with poetry on a regular basis because they're they're not in those those library holes uh, reading poetry. They're they're just out kind of doing their jobs and living with their families, and poetry just doesn't come into their lives as yeah. often as I feel like it it could or should. And when I read your blog entry, I read these great poems, and I wish that I had had heard about them before and, and been able to benefit from them. And so my question is, um, how do you think we can get poetry out into the world more? Do you think that what you were talking about with, mm-hmm. you know, having professors in the classroom who, who live out you know yep. their lives uh, in the real world, is that kind of the solution or are there other, other solutions? How do we get the poetry out there to people?
1: Well, um, I'm a, I'm a strong believer in organic solutions, I guess. Yeah. Uh, so I, you know, I, I, just to kind of just a quick aside to this, but this, this plays into that question. You know, I, I have that same, uh, dilemma when I think about, uh, transferring the importance of history convincing people in mm-hmm. our world that history actually matters and that, that it has an effect on the future. Mm-hmm. Right. Cause you know, we all think of history and we're like, yeah, it's boring, you know, cause the dry textbooks we had to read kind yeah. of thing. Just knowledge. Um, yeah. So that's a dilemma that I thought about in that context. And I've, you know, also, was kind of wrestling with that a little bit when I was writing the piece. So, going back to the idea of organic solutions, I think one way that we can kind of disseminate a, a, an appreciation for poetry on a, on a broader scale is by not shunning the the simplistic steps that need to be taken, hmm. right? So, we can dream up these governmental programs and saying, you know, like let's let's put poetry on the in the public spotlight." But if we're not talking about it in our own personal conversations, like that's like what, where's the foundation at, right? Um, we're not flexing the muscles that will allow us to make a compelling argument to that 13-year-old kid who just wants to watch YouTube videos all day, right? Yeah. right. Uh, or spend $300 on a Fortnite game. <laughs> yeah. uh, so, so I think organic, uh, an organic solution is, is really important. And then once you kind of build kind of a, a ubiquitous uh, conversation of poetry where people where people are like, oh yeah, poetry is a natural part of our regular conversation, right? Mm -hmm. Um, Then I think people will actually begin to, and we can even specifically point this out in our conversations, people will begin to realize how much poetry is actually all around us Mm -hmm. already. It's just Mm -hmm. not in its archaic form, you know, Mm -hmm. like a a Longfellow or a um, a Bryant or a Dickinson, right? That that our rap music is this, like, Mm -hmm. poetry Mm -hmm. on steroids with a beat, Mm -hmm. right? And and music itself, the stuff that we listen to and we consume all the time, is is a, 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 a different form of poetry, um, or,
2: or even like a restaurant menu. Like you yeah. can read a restaurant menu that's huh. written super well, and you're like, "Oh, that sounds yes. so sort of delicious." But well, yes. I think that's, that's because it's like people knew how to use words well to okay. evoke. I don't know. Yeah, that's interesting. But it's and all, even the it's, form it's, of it too, potentially. Yeah, yeah, right. But it's all around us, right? Yes. It's not just we yep. th- we hear poetry and people are a lot of people are just turned off. Yep. automatically because it's yep. yeah expectations and, and
1: so works. and then ultimately i think i just want to circle back around to why i wrote the post to begin with and the reason that i really wrote the post to begin with is because i wanted to just dis- dismantle this idea that being a poet reading poetry is boring that it consists of dry dusty living um and that mm. i i think bryant when he has this idea of a poet in the middle of this raging storm at sea like that blew me away Mm -hmm. and i think you know having conversations like this will begin to kind of lead people onto the idea that poetry is actually all around us as i said before and that it looks way different than they ever conceived of
3: Mm -hmm. yeah and worthy of their time
1: yes Mm -hmm. because it offers insights into the human condition it really does in a way that other forms i don't think are able to do so
2: in this this yeah. What's that?
0: At least not as direct. Yes. Yeah. Yes. I agree.
2: So poets are even explorers, and not in a metaphorical sense. Mm-hmm. You know, they they can actually, literally, should yes. be exploring. Mm-hmm. Yes. Well,
0: if you look, I'm a big fan of 19th century environmentalism. And <laughs> who uh, isn't? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> who isn't? Yeah. Star Wars and that. I thought and I was the only one. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah. No, but um, no. My my dad is an environmental science teacher, okay. so I've been exposed my whole life. To with people like um, John Muir and Aldo Leopold and okay. um, Thoreau, people okay. oh, yeah. like that. Okay. Um, but um, a lot of these like Midwest and West Coast guys, people know them. Like people in the biology sphere know these people as the sort of forefathers of conservation. Mm-hmm. And there, we see them as like these mountain men. Like they have beards down mm-hmm. to their belly button, and they mm-hmm. climb. You know. The Rockies and stuff. Almost all of those guys have books of poetry. Mm-hmm. It's almost yeah. like poetry was, like, it's like a natural extension carried, of that. Yeah. Yes, and yeah. and like anyone who was a thinker and a doer at mm-hmm. a certain time in our history seems to have also written poetry. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and also had a diary. Yep, and
2: but those words, poetry, diary, to the modern like macho. Yeah. I mean those just oh, yeah. come off as weak. Yeah. Like just there's such a misconception to mm-hmm. be overcome.
1: Yep. Mm-hmm. I think it actually it has potentially is a, is a function of the fact that we have largely shifted from I uh, probably I would say say even recently I was I, I mentioned this in uh in the piece. I I just recently read a book by Neil Postman called Amusing Ourselves to Death. Oh,
0: right.
1: Excellent book. It's almost I
0: going to start with him. <laughs>
1: <laughs> This is what I actually have seen and read. great. Um, but he I mean he says a lot of things, but he makes the argument that, you know, there's just been this gigantic shift in the way that we think and that we operate okay. culturally and and socially and and mentally and psychologically, whatever. Yeah. Um, and I think the reason that it's such a foreign idea to carry around a diary and to Create poetry as a natural byproduct of your exploration of the world mm-hmm. is because there's been this gigantic shift from creating to consuming, right? Yes. Yes. Oh, yes. And so when these guys are out in the world, they're like, it's a natural part of my exploration to write it down and express it and process it through the the form yeah. of words, right? Mm-hmm. But now we're like, okay, we go for a hike. When can we watch Netflix? Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we watched Netflix and it's like, oh, that relates to a hike that I did. I'm glad someone else put that down into words or in a video. Um, and so that, I guess the natural stance that we have is not like we, we went out into the world. How do we record it in a, in a true, genuine way that reflects it? It's like, you know, how can we move on to the next thing and, and consume something else?
2: I, I, I've got to ask you this, though, because okay. I, when you bring that up, my response is... You go. On, imagine going on vacation with some friends, okay? Mm-hmm. You go to this exotic place. What are you doing? You're not just soaking it up. You're taking pictures, mm-hmm. right? Yep. And you're posting them on Instagram, yep. right? So you're looking through your vacation or your trip or your hike through the lens of a camera. And everyone's mm-hmm. posting. Everyone's got an opinion. Everyone's writing. But a lot of it is just trash because you can <laughs> self-publish. <laughs> yeah, like 100 yeah. years ago, if you wanted to publish something, you had to have something... Huh. Good to say, so that people would pay here? you. Yes, yes, please.
0: Two two comments. One directly to what you were saying, Sean, yeah. and also to mm-hmm. you, Cody. The um, I think that so you said we've switched into a place where now we do so much more consuming than producing. Yes, yeah. I think that such an important piece on top of that is I think like first step is is this, and then step mm-hmm. two. I think if Postman were still alive, right? Yeah. I think his next book would be about the fact that now because of the ease. And here is where what you mm-hmm. said, Cody, comes in. The ease with which we can produce and put out causes us to create solely for the accolade that we will receive yep. mm-hmm. from putting that out. Of work mm-hmm. and, and the only thing there.
1: we know is the shallow stuff we've been consuming, too. Exactly. Because this is depth that we just right. can't reach. And back I to. think yeah. that,
0: exactly. And I think <laughs> that the, if you, and again, I'm no expert on this, so like if you do your research and check me, yeah. write it in the comments. But the, <laughs> um, I think that many, many, if not most, great people that we consider great artists, at the very least when they were starting, they did it for themselves, or for Just some like other higher person, th- some th- sort of higher reason. Whether they were doing that for the church or for their faith or for a kingdom or like the person that they love or something like that, but not, they not for the fan mail. Not yeah, yeah, not for the fan mail. Yeah. And I think that I think that so many people, um, again, poetry is. Poetry is what I know the most, I think. Yeah. And I think many, many poets that I personally have put a lot of time into didn't even want their poems to be read.
1: Dickinson was like that. Yeah,
0: exactly. And um,
1: Well, at least to a certain degree. I, yeah, I don't know completely, um, but yeah.
0: I mean, most of her poems weren't published till after she was dead. She kept found them in, in a room, yeah, in a room. Exactly. Yeah. And, yeah, and I think that, um, I mean, one of my favorite poets is um, John Keats. And okay. even though later in his life he got in kind of a competition with some of the other romantics like Byron and them Mm -hmm. when he first started writing he was working as like a clerk and wrote poems Mm -hmm, on the side mm -hmm. about his experience because he loved this girl that he saw walking down the street through the window of the clerk's office and then someone who one of his friends who was published saw his poetry and basically and like went to the publisher and was like here's these poems and didn't even tell him that they were written by this other guy you know and that's how Keats (laughs) became Keats, okay. you know? And so I think that while Keats is maybe a bad example because he became really... Uh, he got really into the fame later and, like, sure. moved to Rome and stuff. But before that, like, his intention... Thrive <laughs> along. Yeah, exactly. But, um, Move from the cornfields to New York. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> but I think that it's just... Um, I don't know. I just think it's cool that... Um,
1: like, at least at the beginning, you're saying. That was the original right. and, and thing.
0: Yeah, yeah, even though that might not be the best example. I'm sure if you looked, there would sure. be more. But I think that the... I think the idea is if we as artists, I mean, and of course it's hard to force yourself to do this, but if we have as artists try our best to produce, not for the people that are going to be seeing it. Yeah. Like when mm-hmm. we make something we don't imagine what's going to happen to people's faces when they see it and really do it for like what is the purpose? Why am I really making this? Mm-hmm. And if the reason why you're making something or writing something is because you want someone to see it and like smash that like button, can I can I
1: stop doing it? Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Can I can I jump in here too? There I think you're not only should it be for our own personal purpose, but you you also Cody, you mentioned that um there the idea of a transcendent purpose is actually really important. Mm-hmm. There's a, uh, so the, the poem that I quoted uh, at the end of the piece was uh, a Psalm of life. Right. Yeah. And it's a totally, uh, it's an incredible poem. It's totally worth going back and reading. And there's this one stanza in there where he basically says this, he goes, um, uh, hopefully not butchering it, but essentially life is real. Life is earnest. And the grave is not its goal dust thou art to dust returnest was not spoken of the soul. Mm. And I think what he's getting at there, and I could be wrong and maybe, you know, the context would, would, would argue against me, but I think what he's getting at there is that, um, there's a transcendent purpose. There's a reason we're not just going to return back to dust. The things that we do and create as artists, as poets, there is some, it's, it gets uploaded to the cloud, right? There's, there's some, to use a silly analogy, right? There's there's a way in which it, it doesn't decay with our bodies when we pass away. Right. Mm-hmm. And not just in some sort of materialistic sense that a lot of people latch onto nowadays of like, it's going to kind of go into the ether of culture. Like, I think... P-
3: positive energy.
1: Yes, exactly. Positive yeah, The world will kind of bounce more lives. towards... Yeah. It's, I think what he's getting at there, or at least the way that I interpret that is there's an eternal purpose that you are working towards Mm -hmm. and while you are dust and you will return to dust the the things you create as a poet as an artist they are outlasting that they're actually shaping some sort of spiritual purpose which Mm -hmm. is really cool
3: yeah Yeah. in some sense lifting people's eyes upward
1: yes Mm -hmm.
3: yep well i just want to say thanks so much sean for writing this post because yeah. it. it's great, and I hope that in some small way this encourages people to mm-hmm. take another look at, at poetry and, and the work of Longfellow and others, uh, because I think you have done a great job cool.
0: bringing mm-hmm. that out. It, it was cool
1: because, you know, I kind of have these ideas simmering mm-hmm. on the back burner for a while, and it was cool to kind of have an excuse to talk about them, find an audience that I thought would, would track well with and it. bring them to a rolling oil. Yeah. 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 If I can end with two quick comments to kind of clarify. Right. Um, I think... It's important to, and I sort of allude to this, I think it's important to remember that when we talk about these grand adventures that, you know, you know, of, of a poet lashed to some vessel in the middle of a storm at sea, um, not to get discouraged and be like, okay, well, I can't do that. So, you know, I'm not going to touch this poetry thing or I'm not going to kind of dive into this world. Um, I think it looks different for every single person. And that's kind of why I said at the end that, you know, what needs to be done is to reach out and take hold of the life that the the vibrant life that's within your grasp, something that's feasible in the context that you operate in, right. <laughs> not this idea that I have to go climb Mount Everest
3: I have well to said.
1: go yeah i it's it's available there I'm just going to lean into it whatever's there, and maybe more opportunities will come that will turn into something extreme, but it has to, it has to start off at least with something that's normal but just not sitting on your couch basically right. um and then the other thing that I would mentioned too is that it's possible to go out into the world like, All right, I'm going to do, I'm going to try this thing out. I'm going to do it. Um, and then you go out into the world, but you've adopted a kind of a closed posture where you're like, you're not really open to the ways in which the world, whether it be through the social world or, or, um, just nature itself Mm -hmm. is working on you. It's possible. I mean, I think of, it might be a silly example, but I think of the dwarves at the end of the Narnia series these guys who are in paradise and refuse to acknowledge what they're really immersed in. And they think they don't want to be taken in, right? Maybe that's an extreme example, but, um, I think it's possible to go out into the world and not have the correct posture and not allow the world to impress itself onto you in a way that's productive and will lead to something that is going to last. So, Thank you That's guys for awesome. letting me ramble. Yeah, I appreciate I, it. Absolutely.
0: Thanks for coming out Yeah. thanks yeah, fun. fun studios That's for us. <laughs> so listeners, if you've uh, tuned in this far, thank you. And if you still haven't read Sean's blog post, you can do that on the Forefront blog, so go ahead and do that. Um, keep engaging with meaningful things. Keep on creating. Keep pursuing the only one who can give us real meaning. Until next time, goodbye from all of us at the Forefront team. See you next time. Bye.
2: See ya. See you guys.